What did we just watch, Amy? Well, we just did a double header comedy specials. What? Of Gerard Com- Carmichael's Rathaniel and Bo Burnham's Inside. What? Double yeah. feature episode. Double feature. And this is our first impression yeah. of them. Complete with spoilers if you can spoil um, a comedy special. I think you can. You, which you probably... Yeah, you, you just list probably... all the punchlines. <laughs> <laughs> you can spoil anything. Yeah, but spoilers are are dumb, so... Although I think the main spoilers have been written about in all the yeah, articles about... Yeah, like if you Google yeah. Rothaniel, you'll know what would be spoiled about the show. Yeah. Um, but it's not really about the spoilers. It's about the journey. Yeah. 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 So these are first impressions. Do you want to start with Rothaniel? Yeah. Since it's the first we watched Rothaniel first. Although I think, just to not bury the lead at all, I think I would have enjoyed Inside a lot more if I hadn't seen Rothaniel first. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> that's interesting. Why um, is that? Well, I just... Just because we're, we're in that compare and contrast mode. I just think... Um, uh, Rothaniel is a heightening and refinement of what the comedy special is, whereas Inside felt a lot more like a bunch of very loosely connected YouTube skits mm-hmm. or sketches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So calling Inside a special in the same way that Rothaniel is a special, like... One of them feels a lot more special to me. Well, I think of it as Rothaniel is a stand-up special, and Inside is a comedy special. <laughs> and I thought, that is an well, interesting distinction. While watching... Yeah. I don't disagree with it. It's an interesting distinction. Well, I wondered... Okay, so I have no contact for Bo Burnham at all. I know he's a stand-up comedian. I have almost zero, because so, he's not a stand-up comedian. He's... He is a YouTuber. Oh, he started out He YouTube. started out on YouTube making songs on his piano. Even in Inside, we see a clip of one of his earliest YouTube videos that he's got projected on a wall and is watching. He started on YouTube. He moved into a performance space um, and then quit. And then actually became a, a director. Like, he directed uh, and maybe wrote... Eighth Grade, which mm-hmm. was a, a very well-liked film that we have not seen. Um, but yes, he what? is... Go ahead. I wondered if his quote-unquote specials were structured kind of like this, where he's playing songs and making comedy that's not in front of a live audience, necessarily. Yeah, well, so his last specials have been in front of a live audience. Um, but from what I know of them, I've not watched any of them all the way through. But from what I know of them, they are structured very similarly to this, where it is, it is, here's a song about a thing. Here's a song about a thing. Well, I have to, just for context, yeah. um, neither one of us are experts at Anything. Carmichael or Burnham's <laughs> oeuvre no. of work. So Yeah, we know, we do know and love the Carmichael show. Yeah, that's where I know. Um, which is... Him One from. of the best exemplars of how you can still make a strong multicam sitcom. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, up there with, I think, uh, One Day at a Time is another great example of, mm-hmm. of the multicam sitcom being done very well um, and not just hacky schlock. Mm-hmm. But I also, I haven't seen any of Carmichael's stand-up before. I watched was... one of his specials and I got bored halfway through and turned it off. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And I want to revisit it. Um because I think I was just not on the wavelength of it, because it was a different wavelength than what I was expecting from the Carmichael show. So it, it's more likely it was me than anything else. And I've heard really good things about the special he did before this, which was also directed by Bo Burnham. Mm-hmm. Um, what I heard in particular was that it was a really weird experience to watch live. Um, like, people came out of it going, like, what just happened? Like, what did what was Gerard Carmichael doing? Um, but apparently it plays very well in the recording. Mm -hmm. It was, it was performed for the recording Mm -hmm. rather than, um, strictly for a live audience, which makes sense, again, knowing that Bo Barnum directed it, because they're friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't know their stuff in the same way that, like, I know the, the stand-up history of, of, I mean, River Butcher or... Uh, Tig Notaro, who's we've watched most of her specials, mm-hmm. so yeah, those two comedians, yeah, that's it. Yeah, we started I knew, watching. I knew a lot of uh, Jeff Foxworthy once upon a time <laughs> in a former life. Yeah, where you were the audience for Jeff Foxworthy. Yeah, I'm not the audience for Jeff Foxworthy. He had a he had a clip going around on Twitter a couple weeks ago. Well, now you're not, but once upon a time, yes, you may have Yes, once been. I was. Yeah. So, so, you would have enjoyed Inside more had you not seen Rathaniel first. Yeah, and I think, I don't know that I would have loved Inside anyway. Um, I didn't love Inside. I thought it was fine. I thought it was technically very interesting, but I don't want technically interesting from my stand-up specials. I want also engaging, I'll say. Um, I was almost going to say funny, but then I was like, well, Rathaniel isn't that funny. It's not- <laughs> um, Which is pushing at the boundaries of what a, a stand-up a special comedy special is. is. And I think that's true of both of these. Yes. Like, if we're going to compare them, we, they both question what is a stand-up special. Like, yeah. what does it mean to be doing this? In ways that I think a lot of stand-up or comedy specials in the past few years have been doing. Um, I mean, you can look to other ones we've talked about on this show. James A. Caster, 1999 Cold Lasagna, Hate Myself. Or uh, Nate, I think, is a great example of like, is it a stand-up special? I don't know. What is it? Fascinating. Mm Um, or Nanette. Or, yeah, Nanette. You know, Nana the work Gadsby. of Hannah Gadsby, which is very much like dealing with that sort of stuff. Yeah. So, yes. Um, there, there is a trend in stand-up in the comedy space, in the solo performance space, we might say, to to question what even is a stand-up special. Yes, and, hmm, you know, a lot of people doing this are not straight white guys. What? So... I wonder. I wonder. Is there some sort of correlation there? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) 
of course, uh, Bo Burnham is a straight white guy, mm-hmm. which he does... He talks about. He talks about uh, in, in, I think, a very thoughtful way in, yeah. inside. And yeah. not... Um, and explores that a little bit. A little yeah. bit, yeah. A little bit. Um, and is my voice really needed here? Am mm-hmm. I? Do I have anything to provide? Um, which is a valid question that needs to be asked sometimes. Um, I'm just comparing it to last night's episode of the Amber Reference show. Sure. Where the most progressive white guy <laughs> in the room shows up. And this is about birth control for men. Yes. Because there's a new pill that... It is nowhere near, like, approval or no, anything. No, it has been tested in mice. Um, that men would take, and it would be 99% effective. effective. with virtually no side effects. Yeah. Um, and so the most progressive white man in the room comes, and he's all about, like, holding space and being an ally and listening and hearing and seeing. Mm-hmm. And he's very, like, hippy-dippy about it. And, <laughs> and, they, and, and Amber he, Ruffin asks, well, so you'll take it. No. <laughs> no. Absolutely not. Birth control has been horrible for women, and I respect their bodily autonomy. <laughs> that's how not to be a white man, yes. a straight white man in the room, yes. trying to be progressive. That's, that was the joke. <laughs> that, was, that was the joke. Also, uh, Amber Ruffin, watch the Amber Ruffin show. Yeah, watch the Amber Ruffin show. If you got to take away from or this. comedy. More comedy things to watch. Yeah. Um, so, back to Rathaniel, which we said we're going to start with, I guess, because we watched it first. We don't have to start. Hey, there are no rules to this podcast. What? So no rules. We can start chronologically. Yeah. Well, chronologically can mean two different things. When we watched them or when they premiered. Yeah. Because Inside came out last year, whereas Rathaniel yeah. came out like a week or two ago. I meant from premiere date chronologically. <laughs> okay. Um, I I don't know. I want to talk about Rathaniel. I think I think it was a fascinating experience. Uh, but I want to hear your thoughts, too. What did what did you think of it? Of Rathaniel? Yeah. I wrote a Twitter thread about it. Yeah, you just want to read, read that? I did read it. <laughs> I said, uh, no, I really enjoyed Rathaniel. Again, I'm not an expert at comedy. Mm-hmm. I, as, a, as a form. As a form or stand-up. There's not a lot of stand-up comedians that I follow on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. And I'm a little bit a newbie at the form mm-hmm. that it can take. But, so in my non-expert opinion, it's taking a, a further engagement with what I see as a new form of stand-up, which is storytelling rather than Mm joke-telling. And I think it's something, um, like, it makes me think of Hannah Gadsby and Mm -hmm. Annette, and even the second one, Doug. Douglas. Douglas. Named after her dog. Um, where it's, it's Mm memoir-esque. Um, I think Jamie's A. Caster's 1999 Lasagna. Cold Cold Lasagna. lasagna. I hate myself. (laughs) It's a hard. That's why I think he picked title. that name was because it's he. He's like, if you're going to talk about it, I'm going to make you uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which and I think the Acaster special does have a lot of like joke telling and comedy. The whole thing yes. is funny. Yes. Um, but it is like very connected vignettes from his life. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of other examples. I like Tignataro. Yeah. I think. She does more. 
storytelling. storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, oh, I just blanked on the guy's name. Um, from This American Life. Ira Glass? Not Ira Glass, but he's on This American Life oh. all the time. He does The new one, I think we watched the new one. I don't know. Thank God for Jokes, My Girlfriend's Boyfriend. Those are all... Oh, the... yeah. Sleepwalk With Sleepwalk Me. Sleepwalk With Me. Yeah. Yeah. That guy. That guy. <laughs> He's got a name. I can name all of his specials. Uh, Mike Birbiglia. Mike Birbiglia. Thank you. Yes, Mike Birbiglia does a lot of that sort of storytelling, stand-up space. So it's not new. No. But this... Well, and I, I can even, because I do know a little bit about comedy, like I can even go back to like the late Richard Pryor albums, like the later stuff in his career, where he did a whole set, or a whole part of a set, a whole bit on setting himself on fire while smoking crack cocaine and almost dying and turning that into a comedy routine. Um, so yeah, those those have existed, but... We're seeing a lot more of it. We're now. seeing a lot more, and with Rathaniel, to me, it was like the least joke telling of any of the ones yes. that I've seen. Yes, so the the like the serious episodes in his life that it chronicles are not very funny. No, he's not telling it for laughs. Yeah, which again, in in comparison to something like um, Nanette with Hannah Gadsby. Where she talks about, like, the problem with comedy, which is that it cuts off the uh, opportunity for true catharsis in the end of the story. And I think Rathangel's a really good example of, like, getting the end of the story and hearing the rest of it and and not letting the punchline be the end. Yeah. Which is pushing the form. Yeah. Which I'm all down for pushing the form. Let's push the form. Um... Another thing that I mentioned was the role of the audience, mm-hmm. and it was like the opposite of heckling. Yes, <laughs> where he is riffing on the audience, but he's like they're asking him questions in an unprompted. It's not like it's a Q and A yeah format, which is interesting because I have I have questions about that structure, and I it doesn't matter to me if it was prompted or if there were plants in the audience or how scripted it was or wasn't because I think that doesn't take away from the honesty of the moment and the performance um, but yes there are these really fascinating you know voices from the audience coming out and asking questions and engaging and and him reacting to it in a very Again, what felt a very unscripted sort of way. Very sincere. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I felt like it was a little bit like jazz. It's in a jazz club. Mm-hmm. So I don't think... That was that, an accident. That, that was an accident. <laughs> but there's an improvisation I'm playing off of, mm-hmm. of one another. Yeah. Um, in, in it. It's also... At least from the pans, you know, like a predominantly black audience. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not like you don't see that in comedy specials. But you typically see it with black comedians more yes. so than well, anywhere yes. else. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so that, I think, also has an effect mm-hmm. on um, this, like, jazz yeah. kind of 
back and forth like call and response. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's funny. I, I didn't think about it until this moment, but both Carmichael's blackness and the audience's blackness are very key components to the storytelling mm-hmm. and, and the subject matter that's being explored mm-hmm. without anyone ever making it explicit. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like an undercurrent of all of that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he is black and his family is black um, makes these, puts these stories into an important context that never needs to be explicitly stated. Mm-hmm. It just literally just occurred to me, but I was like, yeah, that's neat. Yeah. <laughs> Like I said, it's not, like, a lot of the, what is it, like, deaf comedy jam? Mm-hmm. I think of stuff like that as a very, maybe predominantly. Yeah, or uh, Midnight at the Apollo is mm-hmm. a, is the, the stand-up special. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this just felt different yeah. somehow in the way that it was located and mm-hmm. in, in blackness. Yeah, well, and, I mean, again, you know, pushing the boundaries of stand-up, but he sits down the entire time. He comes on stage and sits on a folding chair on what seems like a very small stage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, and he's it's filmed as if he's just walking uh, in, in off, the, off street. the street. Yeah. Fresh, you know, the audience is waiting. He just comes in and hands his coat off to someone and, and comes and sits down. I'm sure that's staged. But sure. that's the impression that the, the filmmaking gives. Um, I noticed, like... Um, in its relaxed conversational nature, like his shirt wasn't pressed. It was kind of, um, I can't think of disheveled? the word. Yeah, the kind of like disheveled. Um, I noticed that. But must. Then, then must? M-U-S-S-E-D, must. Okay, okay. I was thinking M-U-S-T. I know, that's why I spelled it, so you knew what word I was saying. Okay. But then when we watched him on um, Late Show with Seth Meyers, mm-hmm. it was a similar, like, the collar's Vibe. not pressed. He takes, he's got on, like, this puffy coat that he takes off and just puts, like, behind his back. Mm-hmm. So that was a similar, um, I wonder if that's just his, like, a- his aesthetic vibe. that yeah. he does. <laughs> Wasn't particular, mm-hmm. special, but in the moment, it felt like another part of this, like, casual... Um, I'm just showing up and I'm going to tell you stories kind of off the top of my head. Yeah. Is what it feels like. Absolutely. that's not... I think that that's a construction. Sure. But... But I think it's a fascinating construction. And and I think the whole special sort of questions the nature of those constructions and and because there is there are times where you're like is this doesn't feel scripted this feels raw and unprepared and um like i could almost see in the construction of it like him almost not doing it like almost just getting to a point and just stopping Mm mm-hmm um, so really spoilers again I don't think you can spoil this I knew this before the, I watched it because everyone was talking about it um, but he comes out as gay in this special and you can me knowing that before we watched it I don't know if you knew that or not I did not it was a, a surprise surprise yeah 
Um, I could see, because I did know that that was going to happen, because he, I saw him on SNL, and he, like, says, in my new special where I come out as gay. Um, and he was, so I could see, like, almost those moments where he was trying to figure out when to say it. Mm-hmm. Like, when to actually do it in the special. And it was almost when he'd run out of everything else to talk about. He's mm-hmm. sort of like, well, I guess I have to say this now. Well, it's after all, like, uh... The funny, the, the funny the, bits, the funny, the funny bits, and yeah. then from then on, it's pretty serious. Yeah, and and he tells jokes a little bit, and but he also sort of talks about like I use those as a defense mechanism. I use those to distance myself and to, um, you know, not have to deal with it, mm-hmm. um, which is fascinating to watch. Yeah, I put he. Teases one secret, his name. Yes. That's what he starts out with. Yes. In order to tell a different secret. Yes. Which is coming out. And then the the punchline. The punchline. This is a spoiler for the last punchline. Yes, again, we're spoiling. We're just going to say the punchlines. Is he gives his name. Mm Mm-hmm. After having teased it at the beginning. Yeah. At the beginning of the show. Which was, like... Again, talking structure of the whole piece, like a very strong structural element with a lot of jazz-like riffing between. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, um, he talked about working the set on on Late Night and about how he went to a few clubs and he he was, you know... Because I don't know of... That's true, I do know of one. I know of one stand-up special where they didn't work the material in advance. Mm -hmm. Um, Because generally, if you're going to record it, you want to know that it's... Good. The version you want it to be. It plays with the audience. (laughs) Yeah. And so most specials are worked for months or, in some cases, years. You know, comics go on the road and they they do the jokes over and over again. They get them to to, to a place of perfection, and then they record a special. Um, and he did this in a relatively short period of time, just a oh, few months. Okay. Um, which also, I have to wonder if, like, that came out of a desire to, like, still allow the special to be his coming out moment. Because mm-hmm. if he practiced this for a year and a half, you know, touring, everyone. everyone would know. It's like, oh, you gotta go see Rathaniel. It's the show where Jared Carm- or Gerard Carmichael comes out. And... So that's really interesting. But I also think it plays with that rawness that you get on screen a lot. Yeah. I think the setting of it is so appropriate to the content of the show Mm -hmm. in this small um, little jazz club, little stage. The people are packed in. They're Mm -hmm. not... I mean, they they don't look like they're assigned seats. They're just in there with their drinks and at little tables. Yeah. you can see the whole audience very easily. Yes. All the faces. Yeah, everyone everyone is very close. So, and, and this is an intimate subject matter and, and way of storytelling. And yeah. it's not presentational. That kind of presentational armor I think some comedians will mm-hmm. put on. So yeah. they can distance themselves a little from, especially personal yeah material yeah and there was no armor it was it was again it's constructed this is the final version this is what they wanted me to see 
I don't care. Um, it felt very vulnerable on stage with him. And so much of it is told in very close up. Um, obviously he's not up on stage running around doing, doing bits or just working the space. He's planted in one spot and he does still manage to convey a lot with his body language and sort of when he's hunched over, when he sort of sits back, um, the way he's constantly like rubbing his face and neck and, and like struggling with where to, where to be. In this moment, um, and almost wanting to hide himself. Where do I put my hands? Yeah. Where do I put my hands? <laughs> um, and I will say, we haven't really said this, because I don't usually think about it with comedy. It was shot beautifully. It was. Um, for, you know, basically being a spotlight on a chair on a stage, mm-hmm. um, there had to have been four or five cameras, um capturing everything and edited masterfully and it was nice to look at which is rare for stand-up specials like the cinematography yeah uh, which i you don't usually say <laughs> you don't like, go, yeah that special had great cinematography. cinematography um yeah the color of the the audience like this blue kind mm-hmm. of um black shadow yeah silhouetted um was was just really beautiful. Yeah, the lighting was just and the 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 very stark, harsh spot on him that felt like it got hotter and harsher the longer it went mm-hmm. on. Uh, yeah. Well, and this is not. This is how comedy specials are filmed over multiple nights, but it's always interesting to me how it plays out. Like it's all one performance. Yes. How. Um, smoothly Mm -hmm. i don't know how easy or hard that is to do but i don't either it always kind of impresses me and that they could get you know maybe the best examples of the audience Mm -hmm. um talking because as he was saying on on seth meyer's show like when he did tour it out a little bit in in Mm -hmm. different cities that there was some engagement with the audience i mean he also says from the very beginning something to the effect of like this is a conversation or we're family yeah we have to be because we're talking about secrets yeah yeah something yeah that to me was like permission yes Um, yes um and ellen and he this is like real subtle stuff sometimes but he would whenever there was an audience reaction or a verbalization he would acknowledge and encourage it um you know, even if it was just someone going, wow. And he goes, yes, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which is, among other things, a pedagogical te- a technique to get people to respond more. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. But just, like, the opposite of heckling. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Which I, I have heard comedians talk about. You can have positive heckling and it mm-hmm. still, like, throws you off. Oh, absolutely. And that they still don't appreciate yeah. having yeah having things kind of shouted. Yeah. So I'm sure this was this was filmed over at least two nights, um, possibly more. Only I really don't only notice know that for sure because I saw a couple of cuts where like his body posture changed a little bit between the cuts, <laughs> and like that could be a timing thing. But it felt like it was a, a you know we're splicing two nights together, which mm-hmm. is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a Chris Chris Rock special, one of his late last ones. Um, 
where he performed in three different cities on three different nights in three different outfits, and they cut all of them together. Oh. So it was very it clear. Look seamless. It was very clear words. when he's in a different place um, telling the joke, which I thought was a very interesting, clever subversion of that sort of illusion. Uh, I don't know if I have anything else to say about It's real good. It is real It's good. worth watching. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of worse ways to spend an hour. Yeah, just, yeah, just an hour. Mm-hmm. Which I guess most comedy specials yeah. are about. Rarely do you find them longer than an hour. Yeah. James A. Castor, seriously, <laughs> man. <laughs> he had a lot of material. <laughs> and it was good. It, it filled the space well. Like, I'm not saying it should have been shorter. But it but... was uh, long for, for comedy. Yeah, it had an intermission. Mm-hmm. Well, technically, Bo Burnham's. Yes, had, technically, Bo Burnham's had, had an intermission had as well for, for something that purely exists on film. And yes, not in front of a live audience. Um, yeah, I don't think I have anything else to say about Nathaniel, though. I recommend it mm-hmm. and look forward to seeing more from yeah. Dread Carmichael. Not like this is his first thing at all. No. By the time we hear about someone, they've probably been doing it for 20 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're slow. Yeah. yeah. I think Acaster talked about that, too, in, in his special. He made the joke of, like, you know, I'm the expert in the room. I've been doing this for 10 years, and I have to impress all of you who have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Which is a, a valid point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's his job. Well, do you want to talk about... Um, yes, let's talk about Inside. Inside. Um, which I want to see specifically when it came out. Obviously, I know it came out... Um, it was in 2021. 2021. I had it pulled. It has a Wikipedia page. Um, but uh, Rathaniel is not yet yeah, on Wikipedia. Because it literally came out like in the past week. It was released on May 30th, 2021. Okay. So we're, we're so that almost be, a year ago. A year ago, at that point in the pandemic, we had the vaccine was more readily mm-hmm. available, but just recently had it been. Yes. Because it was like trying to get Hamilton tickets at first yes. when the vaccine came out. <laughs> of, um, how, do, how do I get it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. Yes, so Inside, um, which is longer at 87 minutes... Um, and was filmed over the course of at least a year in his house by himself. Um, what did you think of Inside? Um, I, what did I think? It's not like I didn't have a chance to think about it yet. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I thought it, it now all this hesitation makes me makes it sound like I didn't like it. I thought it was interesting mm-hmm. um I felt like it was a great time capsule of this moment mm-hmm. in time of of the pandemic I was thinking throughout like I kind of wish I'd watched it a year ago when it was closer yeah that the, this memory of being so isolated inside was fresher although if I think if I watched it a year ago 
it would have been depressing yeah. for me because by like May 2021, we still hadn't, it's still been two years since we'd seen my parents, like yeah. a year and a half since we'd seen your parents. Um, and the vaccine was <laughs> hard to come by. We were in a, uh, yeah. So, and I didn't have any context for. For, for him and his comedy. For Burnham's yeah. work. So I wasn't expecting like it to be almost like musical. Yeah. It was all songs. It was all songs. Um, <laughs> I thought that the um like the filming was really good. Um uh, I liked that he kept in the creation of things, mm-hmm. kind of showing the behind the scenes, the messiness, mm-hmm. like the literal messiness of Cables All of the filming and equipment stuff and everywhere, sound equipment. lighting, and um, I thought the the unifying theme of the special was this downward decline through the pandemic mm-hmm. um, of deteriorating mental health. That's like the the through line. Yeah. Um, to me, I thought there was a clear like beginning of the pandemic where things are a little more positive. Mm-hmm. The the, the the scenes, the songs, <laughs> and then they just, um, get worse. <laughs> I thought how, like, maddening it must be because he wrote it, directed it, filmed it, edited it, and even outside of a pandemic, doing all of those things, like, you have no distance from it, you don't have anybody to bounce ideas yeah. off of. Or to get their input, and when you're so deep in a project, and you get to the point where you're like, "I what words? What are words? Uh-huh. I don't. <laughs> I can't. I cannot even see what I have written because I'm so. You're too close to it. Yeah, too close to it. Um, so I think I enjoyed the form of it and like this encapsulation of of the of the pandemic, and I was impressed with. All of the things he had done. Cool. So that's. I'm hedging because I know you have things to say and you were. <laughs> you sounded like you didn't really enjoy it. I... So uh, I'm pulling back my reaction. You're allowed to have your reaction. I, I know, I, but we I, can I disagree doubted myself. On things. I doubted myself when, when you started this. I was like, oh, maybe I was. Well, I, I'll i start off. I agree with you on most of that stuff. I think the arc of the narrative, such as it was, was interesting and reflective of the creative process in general and also in the specifics of doing this. I appreciated those things. Um, it was, for the most part, filmed incredibly well and very creatively for being literally in one room um, with, you know, a couple of cameras and a projector and some lights um, and a keyboard. So I think all of those, the technical aspects were very impressive, which to me made the actual content of the songs less impressive. Because if I think back on or look at the list of songs that I have in front of me, like, none of them were particularly good. Even as, like, novelty joke songs. 
Um, I, I have high standards for novelty joke songs. Um, I think they're hard to do. But, like, most... The ones that I remember the most are what I call list songs. Where it's just a list of things. And that's the joke. And I I don't find that particularly funny. The ones I remember the most are because of the filming. Yeah. Like the white woman Instagram. Yeah. It's like that that captured a white woman Instagram. It did. It captured it very well visually. And I think it has to be done visually. Because the song... There's not a lot to this Is meh. So I, I remember the visuality. I remember yeah. the visuality of the sexting yeah. song. Yeah. Because the visuals were fascinating and were really interesting and using the projections and that was really cool. The song itself fell kind of flat to me. And I think that's true of, of most of the songs. Like, um, the... You know, FaceTiming with my mom, I thought was cute and filmed very funnily but the song itself was like yeah it's hard to FaceTime with your mom sometimes or the Welcome to the Internet which was like the the most list song it was just like here's a list of everything on the internet some of it's good some of it's bad you get all of it all the time and while that is an accurate representation of what it feels like to be on the internet it was also like a four and a half minute song and didn't grow or change anywhere in there. So I guess what I'm saying is, this is weird. It feels like to me, particularly because Bo Burnham has a strong sense of narrative and structure in the course of the special, it felt disappointing that I felt like his songs didn't have that. Mm -hmm. You know, he had some songs in there that were, you know, a verse and a chorus and that was it and that's fine if that's all it needs to be but then he had some songs that were that just three more times Mm -hmm. and it didn't add anything the Mm -hmm. song didn't grow the you know i think not just novelty humor songs but good songs have an arc to them you know there's a structure there's a there's something that goes on there um rather than just repeating the same things over and over again I thought, like, the first song, and maybe the first couple of songs that were setting up, like, can I even joke at a time like yeah. this, um, were making poignant yeah, points. Yeah, I think so. I think more so than some of the others. I, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So I, and those are the more, more ones of introspection of, like, mm-hmm. what do I have to add? Should I even put my voice in there mm-hmm. to... As, as a straight white man. <laughs> um, you know, does comedy even have a purpose here? Um, which I think he, he does ask and does not come to a real conclusion on. I think, I think the special is asking that question and he never really finds an answer. Which is an answer in and of itself. But it's a little unfulfilling. <laughs> I think he positions to the audience as consumer. And yeah. And this feeling like he's got to create content for a consuming audience, even in this horrible mm-hmm. time that we're all going through. Yeah. Um, 
Which, that was a segue. It wasn't really related to <laughs> what I just said. Um, but, the, yeah, that's another mm-hmm. kind of unifying. Yeah. Again, I, I think the themes are there, but they almost feel there in between the songs mm-hmm. rather than within the songs. Yeah. If kinda, that makes you sense. You kind of have to look at the whole, step back and take a look at the whole thing yeah. to find them rather than in specific evidence from from the songs. Yeah, which which feels which makes me ask, okay, why is the song White Woman's Instagram in here? Why is this song in here? And and I could say that for any number of the songs. Um like why this song of is it just that's the next one you wrote and so that's what you put in? Um so it it felt like I think I said this earlier, it felt like at times, a disconnected series of skits, rather than something with a with a strong narrative. See, I throughout. thought like I read like white woman's Instagram. Of, well, you're now you're super isolated in your your house and you're scrolling through social media and you're just like super noticing this trend <laughs> on Instagram because you've got nothing else to do. Fair. That's kind of how. I, I mean, the same like. FaceTime with your mom yeah. became extra important in the pandemic when yeah. you couldn't see your mom. And so everybody was dealing with trying to walk their, you know, boomer parents through Zoom <laughs> and FaceTime <laughs> and, um, from afar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fair. I'm just looking over the synopsis and seeing like what else stood out to me. Um, I appreciated some of the metatextual nature of it, the scenes with him engaging with the stuff that we were engaging with, you know, him, the, the first example that stuck out was the reaction video where he reacts to his own music video and then it loops and he reacts to himself. Um, I appreciated that. I've seen that same joke done better, which made me sad. (laughs) Well, why would you have? Well, but... some of them really read to me as, like, YouTube video. So the the yeah. reaction one read to me as YouTube video. Yeah. Um, and then, obviously, Twitch stream yeah. was one of the videos. But the other songs weren't necessarily... No, they were. the other ones were closer to, like, music videos. Yes, yes. Um, which, which, those were stronger as music videos, I would say, than, than some of the ones that were the YouTube video or the, the Twitch stream... Um, Which, not knowing that he got his start in YouTube videos, I read again as like, well, you're stuck at home, so you're watching all this <laughs> social media, and you're just like noticing the tropes of yeah. YouTube videos and, and Twitch streams. Yeah. Um, that is certainly an, a useful read on it, too. Even without the context, I think that's that's still a relevant take on it. Um, and, and consuming that media only through, consuming any media only through those mediums creates that sort of recursive space. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I think... (sighs) I think it's funny... That he has a whole 
section about turning 30 during the pandemic, mm-hmm. which is fine. Lots of people turn 30 during the pandemic. Um, but now that I'm on the other side of 30, it feels like such a like insignificant milestone, <laughs> which is not to yeah. say it doesn't feel significant when you're going At through the time. it. I understand that. I've been through that. Um, it's just funny to have an additional few years of perspective on it and going, it's like, yeah, 30 was fine. Like, well, also, like, when you're successful by the time you're 30, like, yeah. you have a Netflix special. Yeah, you've got your second Netflix special. You've um, got a very well-regarded film, like, that you made and... and before you're 30, and I'm, yeah. you know, looking at 40 and going, what have I done with yeah. my... Yeah. With my life. <laughs> I'm like, you're fine, dude. You're fine at 30. I mean, I get what... He, he says something to, like, the battalion... By the time his grandfather was 27, he was in Vietnam. And yeah. I, I get when you, like, compare... Like, my parents were married in their, you know, mm-hmm. early, early 20s. Yeah. And, like, that's... Wow, I can't... I can't imagine. imagine doing that myself. <laughs> um, and, yeah. Or my friends, like... Mm-hmm. Um, Getting married yeah. that early. I mean, he, he, like he a child. joke. Yeah, he, he does have the joke like all my friends are having dumb babies. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. My dumb friends are having stupid friends are having stupid babies. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a thing. You, like I, yeah, I think I'm still going through. Yeah. All my friends are buying houses. They're yeah. getting married. They're having children. Their children are in school now. <laughs> How did that happen? Yes. It's all. Ridiculous, um, but I also think that the the thirty moment in the thing was one of the better filmed pieces. Because um, first of all, you get the scene of him like sitting next to the clock um, as it turns from you know eleven twenty eight to eleven twenty nine or thir- fifty nine. Um, although I also was like, he could have filmed that at any point in time. Yes, we have no we have no reason to believe that that clock was accurate then, which is fine. Doesn't need to be. I, I don't need 100% unvarnished truth in my specials. Um, but then also, you like, the immediate follow-up to that was talking about, you know, how he was feeling depressed and wanted to kill himself before he turned 40. And then you see the second half of that video projected onto a later version of himself. Um, like, in arguably even in worse headspace and sort of he's re-watching it or we're watching him watch it we're watching it projected onto his chest i don't know if he was actually watching it um but that sort of that felt very self-reflective of like what do i even mean when i say things like this you know that that almost instant nostalgia that i think so much of social media creates where you can see something from three months ago and be Like, oh, how naive I was, or oh, I didn't even know. Which I do think was exemplified in the early months and year of the pandemic. Um, You mean when you're looking back at like January 2020, and you're like, oh, oh, such innocent babies. You had no idea what was coming. Yeah. (laughs) So I think that's also really, those were the moments I really enjoyed. They just came independent of a lot of what might be the meat in any other special. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. 
But I think this was a really good example of, like, the pandemic novel. The, yeah. Using that time to do something creative and out of the box. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I think it's a... Yeah. A something that it is worth pointing out he was only able to do because he didn't have to work a job. He was already wealthy enough and successful enough that he could do this for a Just year. Straight on. Yeah. Um, doing it yeah which is um just me like reaching out to everyone out there who didn't complete their pandemic novel and be like no it's okay you survived a pandemic that's enough yeah (laughs) you don't you don't need to have done anything else yeah even if you got laid off and you didn't have a full-time job like it's okay can't concentrate on and write anything yeah it's fine totally fine it's not totally fine it was not the pandemic is not a gift to your creativity. It's a pandemic. Well, another thing I think both of these specials highlight is mental health. Yeah. Um, and how, to me, it seems so common for comedians to have serious mm-hmm. mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And they can't, like, you watch them be so funny and you think yeah. that... What's it's... the old uh, Pagliacci joke? Um Man goes to doctor and says, oh, doctor, I'm so depressed. Everything's terrible. I don't have the will to live. The doctor says, oh, great clown Pagliacci is in town. You should go see him. No one ever depressed after seeing Pagliacci. The man says, but doctor, I am Pagliacci. Hmm. That's the... That's a a joke? That's a joke. I don't know if it's... it's, Like, it's it's like a a cliche at this point. Um, but I think that is, I think there is some element to that of, it is not unsurprising that in the industry of stand-up comedy, there are a lot of people with mental health issues. Well, you expect comedians to be funny all the time. Yeah. And that's not a realistic. No. A true expectation. Um. At all, but I do think a lot of the ones that we've watched that are kind of the storytelling mm-hmm. also deal with mental health yes. issues. And I what, think so. Yeah, that that's a it's been a recurring theme. theme. Although I will say, Tignataro's last special didn't have any of that. It's true. She did have some medical emergencies, <laughs> but they were not mental health. No, related. although I'm thinking about her getting her teeth removed. <laughs> That was my favorite bit from that one. That's good. It's a good bit. Uh, any other thoughts on either of these? Not yet. I'm sure they'll occur in ten minutes or yeah, ten Yeah, that's days what happens. Things. Yeah. Um, yeah. You want yeah. to talk about our Patreon? Okay. We have a Patreon where you can support our show. And if you want to, you can give us an any number of dollars per episode. Any number from zero to a ten. A million! Don't give us more than ten dollars an episode. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess you could. It is per episode, so if we release an episode, you pay us a dollar. 
And if we don't, you don't. Um, you can put a monthly cap on it, though, if we put out too many episodes in a given period of time. Yeah, and sometimes we do double features. What? Two things in twice one the, episode. Twice the podcast for one pledge of Patreon. Yeah. Um, which, is, which is great. And we just like making the show. We appreciate that you listen to it, that you support us in any way you can, which might include Patreon, might include rating us on your favorite podcatcher, leaving us a review, or just telling your friends about it. Or even, and this is like the least way you can support us, but it still matters to me, watch one of the things we watched and mm-hmm. enjoyed and see if you like it too. Although maybe... Maybe watch it before you listen to the podcast, and then the podcast will make more sense. Because <laughs> we guess. don't we don't review we don't explain we don't review specific examples. No, as as I've maintained since we started, this is just the conversation we would be having anyway with a microphone in front of us. We don't explain things, um, but yeah. You get two perks if you support us. So in addition to knowing that we've done more work because you made it possible, you'll get to hear extra audio in every episode. Uh, From the moment the mic turns on to the moment the mic turns off, you can hear us talk to our cat or about other things that are going on in our lives uh, until I turn the microphone off. And you also get a list of the movies we did not watch. Uh, because often I will give Amy a selection of movies to pick from, and then she will pick one, and then we will watch that one. And sometimes they show up again. They do. Sometimes they don't. Um, I'll tell you right now, Rathaniel was not on the list. It was literally just, we couldn't watch Survivor on Wednesday, so we watched this instead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean, Rathaniel probably would have been on the list. It would have been on the list eventually, but uh, we just watched it then. And so if you want to know what movies we're not watching, sometimes they show up again. This was not the first time Bo Burnham's Inside has been on the list. So you never know. When I get that sneak peek into what we might be watching, you can support us on Patreon. I think that's all the important Patreon things. I think so. I think so. Cool. Good. All right. Well, say goodnight, Amy. Goodnight, Amy.